Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 10. It is powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bat Day, possibly Batman. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? I'm Batman. Why? <laughs> why do uh? Why am I possibly Batman? This is a new addition to the the intro. Unless I just haven't been paying attention to it, which to be honest, sometimes I just assume it's all the same. Why am I Batman? You need to listen to the off-topic Tuesday that I had with Alexis Chasen. Oh, this is highly concerning. Someone asked the question about your eight-year streak, so I decided to, even though I know the story, I decided to put my own spin on Which things and shocking. create a more interesting backstory for you. <laughs> no, I was wondering because Lex and I talk superheroes quite a bit, and so I was wondering if maybe she gave me the Batman thing. But I'm upset because you should know that I'm Captain America, and Cap is by far my favorite superhero, and I aspire to be like him someday. But it's okay. Would it shock you at all to tell you that mine is, if I got to pick out like Marvel characters, mine would be Iron, Iron Man. Man? Yeah, that's not even a question. It, <laughs> you know, super billionaire playboy, whatever he says in the in the first movie, billionaire playboy, genius activist. Yeah, it makes sense. So the topic for today, Ben, is we're going to be going over and previewing the Eagles-Bucks matchup. And for this show, we'll be focusing on the Eagles offense against the Buccaneers defense. And then we are going to flip things for the next show tomorrow. We'll do Eagles defense versus Bucks offense. Before we get to all this, of course, there are some required updates that we have for you here with the injury report that was released by both teams. So let's get into that. So did not participate for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brent Grimes with a groin who missed last week. Deshaun Jackson is in the concussion protocol. He had a big day against the Saints. That would that would be a big blow to them. Jason Pierre-Paul is dealing with a knee. That's a problem because that pass rush was, and we'll get into it. Uh, Ricky Vita Vea is dealing with a calf injury. The only limited participant was tackled Donovan Smith. He's nursing a knee. We'll get into that tomorrow because that could be something interesting for the Eagles. Limited participation. Shelton Gibson is dealing with a knee. Alshon Jeffrey is fighting back from his shoulder surgery still. Darren Sproles tweaked his hammy. And Carson Wentz, I'm not sure, Ben. It was blurry for me, but I think it was some sort of lower body injury. Can you confirm that? Yeah, no. It's uh, They're really giving us very little information about this whole Carson Wentz injury. So it would be a, a news <laughs> blur we have to stay updated on. we got to stay focused. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested in that Sproles thing because uh, this is a situation where Sproles could eat 
I don't know if you, uh, another uh, little factoid you may not know, Mike, there's this running back in New Orleans named Alvin Kamara. He had kind of a good season last season. Yeah. Similar skill set to Sproles in terms of what he brings in the open field. And man, he was an issue uh, for the Buccaneers. And so it, this is a, a plus matchup, it would appear, for Sproles. So I'd like to be able to see him healthy. So he's the one I'm monitoring as far as Philly on the offensive side. And then obviously on the defensive side, it comes down to Bucks corner Vernon Hargraves, who's not even, you know, that great gets IR'd. Uh, Brent Grimes is likely uh, still going to be injured coming into week two. And as a result, you're looking at Ryan Smith, Carlton Davis, rookie, and MJ Stewart, another rookie, as your three starting corners for the Buccaneers. <laughs> that is, uh, I believe, uh, it's good news, Mike. That, that, that's good news for everybody involved. And we're going to break down why it's good news as we get into this. But Ben's second order of business, I don't know what the Bucks are doing with these jerseys in general, but more importantly, the jersey numbers, trying to ID some of these dudes from the All-22 look is just absolutely brutal. You could have a 6, be an 8, or a 3, or a 9, really depending on the angle. And you're like, you're watching the whole play kind of develop and you're waiting to see if they like turn a certain way at the end of the play when I'm trying to figure out, okay, who's playing where in the beginning of this game. It took me a while to figure it out. Just abysmal when you're trying to chart participation and get a feel for matchups. Did you have as much trouble as I did, Ben? Or do you like those jerseys? Oh, I do not like those jerseys. I don't hate them as much as some people do. Like a lot of Tampa fans can't stand them. But I would argue that it's harder to like differentiate an eight from a six from a nine on the Eagles jerseys than it is to do on the Tampa jerseys. I had no problem differentiating numbers. I think they stand out pretty clearly. And I think the, the um, build, the format of the numbers is different enough that you can tell, dude, at training camp, you can't tell Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz apart because they play the exact <laughs> same position in the exact same way. And if just Ertz's jersey or Goddard's jersey is wrinkled a little bit at the right spot, you cannot tell if it's an eight or a six at all. I think the Eagles jersey is yeah. much harder because they have those big, thick numbers. See, my, my thing is that we, other than Ertz and Goddard, which I understand, like we all know what the Eagles players look like. Like I can spot Camus Grugier Hill. Well, yeah, but separating a four and a zero, that's not a difficulty. Uh, I'm Your just example saying overall, sucks, man. Mike. Derek Barnett, I can tell from Chris Long because they're one's white and one's black. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well done. One is always wearing long sleeves. The other has a massive sleeve of tattoos out all of the time. See, the Eagles make it simple for you. <laughs> That's I'm what I just like saying, the, the, I did not have issues with the Buccaneers numbers. I think that of the uh, of the, the difficult parts of their jerseys, the unappealing parts, uh, the fact that they have unique numbers that are easy to tell apart, is, I'm, to me, I'm a fan of that. So uh, you have a bad take. Your take sucks the end. All right. So let's get into some of these some of these matchups here and see if we can find a path for success for Foles. Uh, hint, there is one, and it is this Tampa Bay Buccaneers secondary. So just kind of going through some of the projected matchups here, the first one that stands out for me is Mike Wallace or whoever lines up on that outside versus Carlton Davis, the rookie out of Auburn. First up, give me speed outs versus Carlton Davis all day if mm -hmm. he's in off coverage because he's clunky out of his breaks. He's clunky in and out of them. The Saints hit him up often and early with that. And you could see how much respect Davis was giving Ted Ginn speed. You got to think it's going to be the same respect for Wallace because he's a burner too. I mean, there were times when Davis was shuffling and turning to run, and he had still a seven-yard cushion to work with. He was totally turned around. He just lost in space. And you get a veteran like Mike Wallace working mm -hmm. against him. And if I'm seeing off coverage, I'm making money all day. And then do me a favor. Give me an out and up from Mike Wallace. And please, Foles, 
complete your first deep pass this season. That would be nice. So that's one area to exploit because I made this note after the first couple of drives and then the out and up in the second quarter from a stack, they got Ginn on Davis. So Davis can't press from there. Mm-hmm. And Ginn, Ginn gave him a little outside release. And I worked even more outside on a break and then took it up. And Breeze dropped it right in the bucket for him. And you could watch Carlton on that, trying to turn, breaking with, with Ginn upfield. And like the, the vision that I got, yeah, the, the vision that I got in my head was like a beat up motorcycle and it's trying to turn and there's just parts flying everywhere. It was just a mess. What did you think about Carlton Davis's game? Yeah, so I liked Carlton Davis coming out of Auburn. And I'll tell you why I liked Carlton Davis because he was super long. Uh, could play really aggressive, was not afraid to get physical even when wide receivers were bigger than him. Uh, there were some ball skill concerns in terms of how well he was able to uh, locate and turn and produce on the football when it was in the air. And so that's something you want to check out. Like, is this guy just not going to be a highly productive player in the box? Scorks obviously it's going to bring him down. But I like what I saw in terms of that physicality. Now, off coverage, he was never... He never profiled to that. You don't want to take 6'1", 205 corners who have arms almost 33 inches long and put them in off coverage. That's just silly, right? And when you look at Davis's frame, and, 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 and I um, I dropped a piece on Ronald Darby on Bleeding Green Nation, and Darby ate Julio Jones alive when he was playing off coverage. He killed Julio in off coverage. He won more reps yeah. than he lost. Well, Darby is a, is, a, is a squatter, smaller corner who's low to the ground. He's nice and flexible. He's got a very high step frequency, and so he doesn't take up too much space when he steps. Uh, this is what profiles to off coverage because it allows you to change direction really well in space. A more press coverage-oriented corner, think of Rasul Douglas, right, on Philadelphia's roster. Yeah. He's high-waisted. Sewell's like 6'2 with 33-inch arms. He much more is the Carlton Davis mold. You don't want him playing five yards off the ball with his hips directly into the wide receiver trying to mash the break that he takes and then flip his hips and change direction and second break and, and, and get re- reconnected. His, his strides are too long. He takes up too much space when he steps. He doesn't step with a high enough frequency to change direction that quickly. So that's what you have with Carlton Davis. Davis and Sewell, two players I liked a lot in different draft classes, fit a very, very similar mold. Sewell was even more productive on the ball. I would argue Carlton was more uh, disciplined and effective in his press. And so to be putting Carlton Davis, a player who's not supposed to be starting right now, uh, out there in off coverage, is a miscast of, of the player that you drafted and is, is likely a result of you know, the extenuating circumstance of Brent Grimes's injury and Vernon Hargraves, for that matter. Carlton was not supposed to be this high on the depth chart. Now, the Saints like to run their offense up the seams. They like to run it with the interior guys, get Michael Thomas in the slot, get Benjamin Watson involved, Alvin Kamara on option routes. They like to work the middle of the field out. It's not necessarily working from the boundary in. And so, Playing Carlton Davis and Ryan Smith in off coverage makes sense for me against that air Rady Sean Payton attack. I will be interested to see if against Philadelphia, which is more willing to do uh, quick stuff right within the first five yards and working these slants and everything. They obviously love the interior as well. They love to get linebackers on, on, on running backs and on tight ends. But Philadelphia, I think, is more willing to attack that boundary than the Saints are typically, just in their ideal offense. Perhaps yeah. that leads Tampa to get more press reps for Carlton Davis. Perhaps they want to rotate him up more. I know that would be my response, 
we're just going to have yeah. to see what Cutter and the Tampa Bay defensive staff decides to do. Yeah, and there, there's a personality conflict there with the type of personnel that they have, their strengths, and what they can do, what they should do with them. And the, and the Bucks are a heavy zone team. A lot of cover two, a lot of cover three, and you get a lot of uh, off coverage with that. So it'll be interesting to see if Mike Smith changes gears with what he has available to him. Because speaking of what he has available to him, we already touched on it. Vernon Hargraves is out with the shoulder injury that I believe he suffered in the fourth quarter. I thought I saw it happen. And that matchup would have been DeAndre Carter versus Vernon Hargraves. And then what they like to do is they like to kick Vernon Hargraves into the slot when they go in nickel or dime or whatever the case may Mm -hmm. be. And they'll put Ryan Smith outside. So you're going to see Ryan Smith outside with DeAndre Carter, uh, who played a little bit more outside than than we would like based on his skill set, just because of the depth at the wide receiver position that we have right now. And a quick word on Ryan Smith. As I'm collecting these things, I'm checking pro football focus stats. Uh, But as we know, pro football focus stats should be, I think it should be widely understood that these are just guidelines for us to check. If we see something that's uh, egregious or something that stands out, you go check the film and you see why it happened. And that's what happens with some of these coverage stats. And this came up when we talked about Darby and how the numbers were a bit inflated due to a blown coverage by Corey Graham. Uh, Anyway, same thing happens here with Ryan Smith. And it's either error on the person charting it or just a product of their definition to simplify things. But we've talked about banjo coverage before. So here was the situation yeah. that I saw, Ben. End of the second half, Bucks are up 31-17. So we've already entered uh, the alternate, alternate timeline where the Bucks are a really you, good you, football you, team. You, end of the second half. You mean end of the second quarter, my guy. It was already 31-17 with over half the game left to play. Oh, my God. End of the second quarter. You are correct. That's what I mean. The alternate timeline, there's too many things to keep track of with the, with this Bucks yeah. team. Third and one from the six. On the left side, you've got Ginn lined up as the widest, but inside of the numbers on his split. Michael Thomas inside of him. So like we talk about with Banjo, Ryan Smith has outside. Safety Justin Evans has inside. And I'm pretty confident in that because they were they were going to like man up and switch and like cross DBs. They would like have a stagger, but they were parallel to each other. So anyway, it's not who starts inside for the wide receivers for the defensive backs. It's who ends up inside. So I talked about this with Eric Crocker on Fireside Chat. So go check that out. So it it's who ends up inside and who ends up outside is who has that responsibility. So Justin Evans is supposed to have inside. Ryan Smith is supposed to have outside. What confuses things for Evans is that Thomas and Ginn release and they're in a straight line as they release and they kind of intersect a couple of times throughout the route. So you get that slight inside stem from Ginn that gets Evans to completely vacate his space and his inside responsibility which frees up Thomas for the easy touchdown. After the play, Smith is looking at Evans like, dude, because once he realized Evans was going to the flats, he tried to go get Thomas and it was just too late. Uh, But look, here's why I don't mind this being charted as a touchdown against Smith at the end of it all. If Smith was supposed to be outside, he darn sure wasn't getting to Ginn based on his initial movement. So while it's not his fault, he still played it poorly and ended up in no man's land. And that's the type of stuff that the Eagles see with two young secondary players that haven't played a whole lot of football next to each other. They see that. And when that time comes in the red zone, they dial something up for Ertz and Nelly right there. And I'm calling my shot now. If that happens on a little switch release type deal, you get like a stacked alignment. And you see something similar to the play that I posted on my timeline. It's on there. Go watch it at Michael Kiss NFL. If that happens, I'm going to open a Venmo account finally. And I expect to be paid, Ben. Okay, if we're doing that, then I got to start making way more just like strong tape takes on the podcast. Got to make it very clear <laughs> that I expect monetary comeuppance for my 
accurate tape evaluations. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was watching. They, they're uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not afraid of playing middle of the field open, and so too high safety at like the fifteen, which to <laughs> me is bananas because. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Maybe they uh, they they don't think New Orleans goes to the middle of the field that often in the red zone. Maybe it was a tendency thing. But I'm thinking about little quick little seam beaters, little post routes. You know, to Zach Ertz, you're giving up a lot of really good leverage right there in the middle. You know, you're asking Chris Conti and Justin Evans to make some big time plays. And you know, gentle listener at home, if you're thinking to yourself, "Well, I can't remember Chris Conti and Justin Evans making a lot of big time plays." Yeah, it's because they don't <laughs> usually. So I, you know, to me. When I saw that, you know, that quarter style of coverage, that that blanket or even that cover two that they were running in the near red zone, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm, I'm looking, you know, Ertz or Goddard across the middle of the field in that regard. And that's what you're going to be able when you have a deep safety like that, you can manipulate him accordingly. And so if that's what they're going to run uh, at the 15, at the 20, then that copper route that we like to see from Zachary's little fake post come in, or face, fake corner come inside to the post, that should be money. Like, that should be money uh, 10 out of 10 times. Philadelphia's got an easier task, in my opinion, designing play concepts to beat this Tampa Bay defense than they did to beat the Atlanta defense, which is obviously good news because it's week two with Nick Foles. I think they have a nice man-on-man um, -man advantage uh, with their tight ends against the linebackers, with their running backs against the linebackers. Then obviously, like we said, the secondary is depleted. Philly should be able to run up the score on these guys the same way New Orleans did. Obviously, we got to talk about the defensive side of things, but that's tomorrow's podcast. A little teaser there for you, Mike. Just a little teaser real quick. <laughs> Before we get to tomorrow, we got to talk about how they how they can do that a little bit because when I was watching the tape of this Saints-Bucks game, the Saints went empty and got Michael Thomas on Levante David a whole bunch. And you're talking, you know, hit a quick five-yard pass, nine yards a yak. You're looking at 14-yard gains all day. That's easy money. I mean, I wasn't counting, but it looked like the Saints were able to get Thomas on David more than a few times and pretty much at will and getting plus matchups where they wanted it. And it's wild to me that defensive coordinator Mike Smith was cool with it. Cool with it. And you know what, Ben? I know it's not really a big portion of what the Eagles do or have done, and it might be hard to get there with a the depleted wide receiver group, but we have two really good tight ends. But you go five wide regardless of the personnel like the Saints with either Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard in the inside slot, they'll see guys like Chris Conti too in coverage, the safety. And that's a matchup that I'm feasting on. And Justin Evans can't hold up with the play strength of, of an Ertz who really knows how to use his leverage and tilt guys at the, at the top of his routes. And, and there are other areas too that I would attack. You know, you can run mesh with that sit because there's a lot of areas behind the, there's a big area between the linebackers and the safeties in some of those zones and you can dial that up for me all day. I don't see any problem with this team moving the football. And if we're talking about like pass rush being the way that the Bucks can help their cornerbacks out, the pass rush really wasn't there for most of the day. Oh. Uh, it was mostly, in my opinion, from Gerald McCoy. And by the fourth quarter, it was absolutely dead. There was no kinds of movement up front for the Buccaneers. Is that the same kind of thing that you saw? Listen, Tampa was out here adding players the Browns cut for their pass rush, okay, at 53-man waivers. So so, so the Browns didn't want him, but Tampa did. This is where we're at right now, Mike, in terms of pass rush. <laughs> Obviously, that's called an asset. He's like, defensive at five on the team. I acknowledge that. But, yeah, Noah Spence, Willie Golston, uh, a potentially hobbled Jason Pierre-Paul and Vinny Curry ain't doing much to scare me off the edge. Listen, Tampa does not like to take 
Kwan and Levante off the field. They like to keep those two guys in. And I think a lot of that has to do with the faith they have in them as cover man. And some of that is warranted. I think they have a little bit too much faith in those guys as far as man coverage responsibilities go. And I remember uh, back, you know, recently when the Eagles had drafted Goddard and I was doing that work on the two tight end sets. Obviously, we didn't see a lot of those against Atlanta. Uh, but I was doing work on those sets. I said to myself, man, you know, this was sometime in the summer. I don't really understand how you cover those two guys on the field at the same time unless you have Atlanta's personnel in terms of Keanu Neal, uh, Deion mm. Jones, Devondre Campbell, and Duke Riley, that, that linebacker safety set. And Tampa fans got all up in a tizzy, let me tell <laughs> you. That being said, I've been pissing off Tampa fans all summer because I may or may not have put them picking first in a mock draft because I didn't know that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to put 48 on the New Orleans Saints. Uh, but Tampa fans have not been fans of me this, this offseason. But Tampa fans got up in a tizzy because they thought I disrespected Quan and Levante. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Quan and Levante had trouble staying connected to Benjamin Watson, let alone Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sold. I did not see the the alleged excellent cover man that, that the Buccaneers believe they have in Quan and in Levante. But when you struggle the way Tampa does and their front four to generate uh, penetration and to disrupt – I think a lot of it also has to do with stopping the run. You know, if you put out there Bo Allen, Gerald McCoy, Vinnie Curry, and Jason Pierre-Paul, I mean, that's a bottom five line in the league. And you're going to struggle to handle good run-blocking offensive lines, with the Saints, which is what the Saints have and what the Saints were able to do to Tampa. And as a result, you need to have good backers in to deal with that mess. And, and Quan and Levante are both good coverage men, yes, and they're also both good run defenders. So if they're dedicated to, number one, playing with two deep safeties, Chris Conte and Justin Evans, and playing with two linebackers on the field, Levante mm. and Quan, then you should be getting Zach Hurts on Levante or Quan. You should be getting Darren Sproles or Corey Clement on Levante or Quan. You should be getting Dallas Goddard on Levante or Quan. These are all super plus matchups for Philadelphia. You need not see a ton of what we call man beaters, just routes and concepts that are used to beat man coverage, quick little rub routes in the short areas, double moves like the Allen up that you talked about. You didn't see a lot of those against Atlanta because Atlanta very rarely gives you true man coverage on a consistent snap to snap basis. You can get that from Tampa. And if you yeah. get that, if Philly gets that from Tampa, they should be at a clear offensive advantage, both from a design standpoint and from a personnel standpoint. You know, you were talking about the, the two deep safeties and the run game and something that that I noticed was, and even in the red zone too, I think it was four yards out. The Saints ran that duo concept where they've got two doubles in the in the middle of the line, and Kamara was able to read the Mike linebacker real easily, real light boxes for the Bucks. And if they want to go too high, I really think that Jai is just going to eat. And look, I know Gerald McCoy had a good game. Levante David had a good game against the run. He was flying around, made some nice mm -hmm. plays. But the Saints still had success on the ground, and I thought they weren't getting good guard play uh, whatsoever. I didn't think uh, Ryan Ramchek had a good game either. Was was there anybody else on that, that defensive line, before we get into the, the schematics of that, was there anybody else on that defensive front that flashed for you? Uh, like maybe, like Vinnie Curry got a sack. Who was it? Who was it? Uh, number 56, Darrell Worthy. Uh, had a, in the second drive, he bowled over a guard. Like I said, the, the Saints did not have good guard play on a pass rush. And then he checked another guy against the run, which Kamara bounced for 10 yards 
anyway. Um, he showed up a little bit for me, but then I didn't see much else from him. I, and if he did something and I missed it, it's probably because I was watching Daryl McCoy a lot and he was having a bit of a day. Uh, but overall, just looking at this defensive line, is there anybody in the run game other than McCoy and David does anything for you that makes you think, okay, that we might have some issues getting the run established like we did early on against the Atlanta Falcons? Uh, I'd like to answer Levante David again, please. <laughs> He's, he's, he's just very, he's very instinctive. Yeah. He's very aggressive and it's fun to watch. It's good, traditional, high quality linebacker play. Uh, the, the long and short of it is no, this is not a good front four. This is a, a better front seven because of the linebacker play that they get, but it's still, I would say in the NFL, not a great front seven. Uh, you should be able to find a lot of success running the football against them. Now you brought up a Jai. And I think obviously Ajayi as that bell cow back, kind of that 1A that we talk about, will see significant running reps and should see success. But I, I again, I would expect a Darren Sproles day. That's the, that's what I would be expecting coming in simply because, uh, Doug had that little soundbite about up tempo and, and playing with hustle to get Foles into a rhythm. If you want to do that, then you want Sproles to be your back on the field because of what he gives you lining up as a slot receiver. If you want to keep, Evans, Conti, Quan, and Levante on the field all at the same time and then pick on matchups. That's what you need. I mean, so, so New Orleans second play, Mike, they ran Bender, an air raid concept. Sean Payton's a lot of air raid inspired ideas. Two receivers to the one side, halfback is offset to that side. The receivers run a little switch verticals idea, mm. right? And so now you've got the number two receiver coming into number one's area. The original number one comes into number two's area. He runs a post. So now he's taking that middle of the field safety. So they've essentially replaced one another. And while that's going on, you leak the halfback out onto a little option route. So the corners and the safeties are dealing with all this eye candy, all this switching, all these different cuts. And you put the halfback on an option route and all that space into the flat is vacated. Alvin Kamara pops right out there. He's able to win the corner. It's like a 20 plus yard gain. That's that's easy, right? Like yeah. college teams are running that. Every college teams are running that play six times a game. Man, that ain't nothing. But if you're in a hurry up situation and you're able to run an 11 personnel and you run a little trap, you run a little inside zone and then you hurry up into that look, get Ertz on the outside as one of the receivers and then get Sproles as that near side running back that's such just free money we uh, we we talk about getting free money with speed outs you know free money on like little halfback swing against cover three for Atlanta just free yardage just stay ahead of the sticks and it's a way to get your backup quarterback in rhythm that sort of a concept being able to hustle up to the line and take advantage of the personnel that Tampa has to keep on the field given their lack of depth on defense it's free money and that's what you you should expect to see from Philadelphia this isn't tough to figure out so Peterson should have 10 times of what we have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they should be able to, to work that man coverage pretty easily. Yeah. So so the guys we, that we highlighted here in coverage that we kind of like, I highlighted Mike Wallace against Carlton Davis, really anybody against Carlton Davis in all coverage. You're talking getting Zach Ertz lined up in plus matchups all day. Darren Sproles out of the backfield against these linebackers. Nelson Aguilar, I think, could have a day working him in the intermediate areas in the middle. And look, we talked about the matchup with Robert Alford last week and how good Alford played and how tight he played him and didn't allow any yards after catch. I think it's the exact opposite here with the uh, with the Bucks. So I think he's going to have some big time yards after the catch. And Michael Thomas had 60, 60 of his yards after the catch, which is a big day after the catch. I know he had 16 catches, but still, I think you can free him up, get him into space, and we might see Nelly make some uh, busted moves in the open field. So I'm pretty confident coming into this game that 
the Eagles should be able to move the ball against this defense, no problem. I mean, they were bad against the Saints. They got some fortuitous uh, fumbles. Obviously, you know, they still have to make those plays. And Justin Evans was was there for the for the fumble to pick it up for the, the touchdown. They forced one from Michael Thomas late when it looked like the Saints were starting to get back into the game. But, you know, from, from week to week, fumbles are not sustainable. It's not something that you can rely upon. And without that, right. how are you creating turnovers? Because they're not going to be getting interceptions with that secondary, it doesn't look like, unless Foles is just absolute trash again. And I can't even see him being that bad on the road, despite all that, against this defense. I don't see him struggling whatsoever. So, Ben, feelings like uh, from 1 to 10, how confident are you that the Eagles put on a good offensive performance and put up, let's say, over, let's call it over 24 points? Over 24? Easy, right? With their hands tied behind their back. I'll tell you that. uh, I'll tell you this right now. Looking at the lines on this game, you know, last week, obviously, I went 0-1 on betting Philadelphia games. I took Atlanta. <laughs> uh, but, dude, over-under opened at 44, and it hasn't moved. Yeah. I hit the over on that pretty quickly because while we shouldn't expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to put up another 40-burger, <laughs> uh, I think we can acknowledge that, that that Tampa offense with their pass-catching weapons is good enough for a few points. And then, yes, I think Philadelphia, while the offense obviously uh, looked sluggish against Atlanta, I think there's a big overcorrection as far as what the team looks like with Nick Foles. That's stemming from the preseason. They should be expected. I mean, they put up 18 points, uh, and, and I think the Tampa defense is markedly, measurably worse at all three levels than the Atlanta defense. And you should expect Philadelphia's offense to shine out accordingly. So over 44 is uh, the bet of the week. I'm 0-1 on Eagles games, but I did well uh, overall last weekend. So over 44. I would take the over as well. And I really want to see what kind of quarterback shows up for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team against this pass rush. He was only under pressure for 17% of his snaps against the Saints. I have, a, I have a feeling that might change a little bit. <laughs> His living situation, as they say, is about to change. And we're going to get into all that with the defensive matchup for the Eagles against the Bucks offense tomorrow. Also, this week, in case you missed anything, we had Off Topic Tuesday, me and Alexis Chasen, as I, I alluded to earlier. Uh, you've also got me and Trevor Sikama from Pewter Report talking about the Bucks, getting the getting his perspective. He covers the team. He's around it all the time. That's what he does for a living. And he gave us some great insight. Uh, it was actually the, the Kissed and Sikama show. It was episode nine. Ben is in the hot seat here. I, I, I do not condone or cosign that at all. <laughs> I'm offended and upset. Well, it happened, Ben. So now we just got to live with it. That's the reality that we're dealing with. Ben, anything else for the gentle, gentle listeners before we get out of here? Uh, I don't think so. I don't. I, I, I'm upset. I had iTunes reviews opened. Uh, but I need to restart my computer and now iTunes is closed, which means I'm unprepared for reviews, but that's okay. As always, thank you for listening to the Kissed and Solak show here on BGN Radio. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T tomorrow. Eagles defense, Buccaneers offense, going to talk a little bit about what made Ryan Fitzpatrick so successful against the New Orleans Saints defense. Probably going to talk a little bit about the two most up-and-down quarterbacks in the history of the universe (laughs) facing off in the most volatile, volcanic, explosive performance of the history of Week 2. I don't know. I'm going to talk a little bit about how Tampa can't run the football and how their offensive line sucks and how the Eagles' defense should be able to rip through them. It's going to be a good one. Of course, coming then into the weekend, 
Uh, you'll be able to go on Bleeding Green Nation. You'll be able to get my piece on Cindy Jones and on Ronald Darby, my mailbag, uh... Uh, college players to watch over the weekend and then finally the full all 22 review of the tampa bay buccaneers in written form mike what content do you have coming on i just put out a piece about the red zone running boost that the eagles got with some concepts that they used with jay ajayi and uh, i want to pat myself on the back for calling that in the off season i'm also going to be charting the offensive personnel versus defensive personnel success rates and then flipping it as well for the bucks against the saints so you can know what to expect from them from the bucks from a personnel standpoint on both sides of the ball so i'll have that coming as well and maybe maybe a little uh, coverage feature here on uh, mike evans since he's uh, such a big weapon we'll see we'll see if we have enough time maybe we'll hit a bed bath and beyond too but anyway good content coming up bleedinggreennation.com I'm Michael Kist at Michael Kist NFL. That's been Benjamin Solak at Benjamin Solak, S-O-L-A-K. How dare you? I know. I know. I did it again to you. <laughs> what do you think this is? I still had like, I still had the, the five-star joke to do. I had the thanks to do. And you're like, let me just put a bow on this nonsense by saying the exact same thing Ben says. We all we got. We all we need. I'm disgraced. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.